Hello, how y'all doing? So many of us struggle with being productive, organized, or focused. And God knows that we have so much on our plates. And certainly compared to 10 years, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we have just a lot going on in our lives. And a lot of us want to be able to be more, a little bit more efficient, a little more focused. Forget about the labels that you want to give yourself. If you have some sort of uh, ADHD or, or whatnot, I mean, I know certainly I would love to be a little bit more efficient, a little bit more focused, a little bit more organized. And there's like a billion dollar business and trying to sell people on being more productive and more efficient and TV shows and whatnot and books, all that sort of stuff. So this is a very relevant episode. I'm talking to someone who's an expert on this efficiency and helping people become more productive or whether it's yourself or whether it's a friend, a spouse or a child talking about like what is going on, what that experience is like, and what possibly you can do about it. So I hope you enjoy, if you enjoy, and if you get something out of it, please do us a favor. Or wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's this video one on YouTube, or whether it's on Spotify or Apple uh, Podcasts or whatnot, take a second, like it, share it, post a comment. Uh, that's really gonna help us. And subscribe on, on YouTube. This is Mental Filter. Welcome back, everybody, to Mental Filter, where we get to talk about lots of interesting things with interesting people. As you heard in the introduction, um, this, I think, is going to be applicable to probably all of you, whether you admit it or not. It's about getting our ish together, getting ourselves together, whether you want to call it clinically being disorganized or whatever acronym you want to use or whether or not all of us, I think, can benefit from figuring that stuff out. And I am confident and happy that we have a co-host for today who can talk to that. So without further ado, Dr. Felt, can you introduce yourself to everybody? Sure, my pleasure. So um, my specialty is personal productivity, just getting people to be more efficient at what they do and what they want to do or what they wish they do. And um, I do this in a multiple variety of settings. I do this as a college professor. I do this as a rabbi. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and <laughs> I do this as a psychologist, which is I help people just be their personal best. And it could be anything from something as simple as just like pulling a schedule together to getting a diagnosis of ADHD, whatever it is that they need to help people just lock in on their executive functioning so that they could be we could put the fun back into executive functioning. That's really what I like to do. Got it. Okay. So you already used a word that that some people may be familiar with, some people not. What is like the short version definition of executive functioning? Executive functioning is our internal planner. Wow. Good. Nice, nice and straight, nice and straight to the point. And does everybody have that? <laughs> um, we all do with just to varying degrees like for instance myself i have adhd so my internal planner it's like i guess an old palm pilot so like, you know it's still loading on a lot of stuff it's not up to date with many things it's not instantly synced to let's say my google or like seamlessly updating with whatever accounts that i have so that's where it gets annoying is that we all have executive functions, but some of us are more executively dysfunctional than others. 
or what I call ED, executive dysfunction. The other ED. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. The other. <laughs> the ED. lesser known. The lesser known <laughs> ED. Right. So what's the like, what's probably more pervasive and, and negatively impactful in our life? <laughs> right. So what's like, what's what's your background, your professional background? How did you get it? How did you get into this? Were you, were you uh, great today? question. So right now I teach psychopathology at Columbia University, which is where I go through just the different diagnoses and disorders that people have and how to tell the difference apart. One of the reasons why I love doing that is because a lot of what I do in my professional life as a psychologist is I help people tease apart whether or not they're really struggling with ADHD or anxiety or OCD or bipolar or all of the above. Right. And um, that's really what I love doing is helping people figure out like what it is that's holding them back. Why can't they get their their bleep together, really? And what's holding them back from being the person they want to be? And I myself struggled with my own ADHD for years. And I had to figure it out, both by being married to an Israeli who took no bleep from anyone, especially from me. And I needed it because I was really working three jobs to get through grad school just to pay for myself to get through school and for my new family. And New York rent was insane. So I was really working way more above and beyond. And I needed to be able to pull myself together. Otherwise, I just wasn't able to juggle all of it. So I kind of like trial by fire, learned how to organize myself in order to survive. And then my systems, I'm very systematic in just the way I think. So I've developed them into systems. And then when I was working with people, in my first few years of doing therapy, I found that like the regular therapy wasn't really working for a lot of folk. They were like coming into sessions and like we did everything right, but then they would totally forget what happened the next day. And I I could very much relate to it because I know that in my own therapy with let's say my own therapist, I have no idea what just happened. Like I know it felt good and I totally like for sure was like ranting about something that was completely irrelevant and was noticing the time going by. Oh, that's another $10. Oh, that's another $10. And I I found that it, it was important for me to utilize my own system, A, for my own therapy, but B, for other people as well. And so what I started doing was um, adapting my own systems through a clinical lens, meaning utilizing existing literature and scientific research on how our brain works, the neuroscience of being organized, the neuroscience of pulling our bleep together really kind of informed the way that my systems then kind of turned into its own program, which is now called Felt's Experiential Rehabilitation or EFR for short. And and it's a combination of EF, right? With the F, the executive functioning part, and then the experiential rehabilitation. The underlying idea behind experiential rehabilitation is exactly what it sounds like, to experience success to know what it's like to actually have your stuff together and to do things in incremental parts where we could kind of build back better <laughs> to, sorry uh, for all of you guys out there who hate um, that, but it's it's really just learning how to, to behave your life back better one step at a time so that you're more on top of your game one step at a time. And I found that this crosses many different pathologies. It's not just for ADHD. It's not just for anxiety. It's not just for people with TBIs. Like that's a traumatic brain injury where if let's say your actual brain got damaged, so then that part housing the executive functions also would, you know, naturally deteriorate. So right. it's been helpful across many different spectrums for normal people, neurotypical people, neurodivergent folk. It's really been this kind of cool system that's been very helpful. 
That's awesome. And I'm glad you just said that because there's a lot there that I would love to, we'll, we'll get into the weeds a little bit. Back in the beginning, you said for, you know, helping people figure out what is and what isn't and not necessarily pathologizing everything. Like you said, like neurotypical people, neurodiverse people, it's, you know, it, it, I don't uh, specialize in, in ADHD, but anyone who comes here is like, it's not my job to like create a problem for someone, whether they meet, you know, criteria to have uh, a label from the DSM or not. It's about, do you want a different quality of life? So whether a person listening right now or watching right now, if your level of disorganization or attention or whatever it is, like hits a certain level, it's practically everyone who I work with and probably you too sort of feels like there's some global reality show idol competition of who has the biggest pathology. And if mine doesn't surpass someone else's, then it's not really worth working on because like someone else has it worse than me. It's like, it's not about that. Do you want something in your life to be different? So I love that, you know, sort of pulling apart, like what's going on here and what do you want different? And then coming up with something that's going to help you. And also what I would love, you know, and I would love for you to describe for someone who struggled with ADHD or whatever level of inattention. So let's say you come into a therapy session, right? And you said like, well, I don't really know what we talked about. And for lots of uh, things built in our life, whether it's a therapy session, whether it's a meeting whether it's having to, I don't know, pay the bills, whatever it is, where it's sort of built in, you need to sit down and, and have attention for a certain amount of time. That's a long time. Are you able to like to sort of describe what's the experience if you're trying to, or a classroom, right? What What's the experience like five minutes in that's different than say the neurotypical person? What's life like for me? <laughs> That's a great question. It's like thinking about while you're talking now, just like, hey, you know, the lighting's kind of weird. I hate that I always get that shiny spot on my forehead, right? So like, you're literally talking to me, asking me a question. I'm already wondering about lighting. <laughs> just like I'm in a different place. Um, That's one aspect of it, meaning it's hard to like stay focused on what's happening in the moment, which is ironic because ADHD comes with and i don't think this is unique to adhd but definitely those of us with adhd have it a lot more than others which is that it comes with both this inattention and hyperattention both at the same time i could be completely uninterested in something but at the same time be super interested in something else like for instance i'm still being drawn to the monkey pictures in your background right again it's something dumb it's something insignificant but it's interesting to me right so therefore my brain will still be drawn to it so a lot of people will describe this experience to me that like <laughs> they'll be trying to get their taxes done, but they can't get out of, you know, constantly clicking into YouTube. And all of a sudden for YouTube, they could focus for two and a half hours straight watching dumb bleep, right, you know, on stupid, stupid, stupid things. And for two and a half hours straight, <laughs> it's like, what happened? But I can't do my taxes for 10 minutes. And it's really what it comes down to is what I often refer to as the CNUs of interest, which is what makes us interested in things are, are when it's competitive. That's the C, right? Competitive or challenging. I really should have drawn this out for, for anyone who's going to be watching this. But so the C is for challenging or competitive. The N is for new or novel. The difference really just semantics, but I like using the, the phrase novel for something that isn't necessarily new, just different. And then the U would be urgency. 
So if you think back to any marketing class or any advertisement you've ever seen in your life, they probably contain at least one of these active ingredients of manufacturing interest. Buy now, call now, only seven left. You know, there's this manufacturing urgency or under new management, right? There's the newness or the novelty that they're trying to throw at you, right? Or the challenging or competitive is like, collect all seven. Or I don't know, whatever it is, you'll see in almost every marketing and and anything that the way that they try to trap our brain and kind of compete for our attention is by utilizing one of these aspects, one of these active ingredients of interest, which is one of the CNUs, right? Either challenging or competitive, new or novel, right? Or urgent. So oftentimes our brains, again, both neurotypical and neurodiverse, right? Any brain, any human brain is programmed to be interested in one of these three things and something that's either challenging or competitive, new or novel or urgent. And so really people, again, both neurotypical and neurodiverse will find themselves constantly either really interested only in that which interests them. And you're saying taxes is not one of them. It just isn't. It really isn't. It definitely has the challenging aspect, but it's not super novel. There's like maybe a sense of urgency on like April 14th, right? Or if you file an extension like I always do in October, right? So it's the same thing, right? So those three days before and you're always wondering how the IRS server doesn't shut down with all of us, like, you know, <laughs> filing the last second, right? But that's the only time taxes get done. And unless you have one of those amazing accountants, like those boring folk, God bless them. Who, who they're on top of it and they'll text you and email you and harass you to get the documents they that they need right but otherwise the rest of us it's just yeah it's only going to happen when it has the you right the urgency or like the novelty because you really wanted to get that check from I, for, I forgot what stimulus i don't know what we're up to now but like <laughs> some, some year some tax year they gave us Look, stimulus so and this is very relatable i am sure if there's any parents listening out there who have kids who've struggled with any degree of this it's like the common struggle that they have is one second so he can't sit he or she can't sit for five minutes to do their homework i mean the homework should take five minutes but they could play Fortnite for three hours or they <laughs> could you know like you said to go on youtube they could do this they could do that so to a i guess a neurotypical parents like so oh that means that they could focus And yet they're not on this. So then they jump to something like really negative. Oh, they're just being lazy. But then again, there are some kids who maybe could and they are being lazy or they don't think it's important. So they don't do it. So what's like something small? I hear this complaint all the time. Parents are always giving me this complaint, which is I don't understand why my kid can play video games for three hours straight, but he can't do literally five minutes of homework. It's five minutes of homework. Yeah, and this is the answer, the CNUs. It's just homework just can't compete. It really can't. It's not on the same level. Now, so like the solutions for that would be, again, it takes a little bit of creativity, right? And maybe some bribing, right? A little bit of bribing, right? Call it what you want, right? I call it incentivizing or contingencies. For those of us who don't bribe kids as a matter of principle, that's fine, even though we're ourselves live by bribes and saying right a paycheck is that not the greatest bribe in the world to get you to show up at 9 a.m at a job and stick it out for the greatest hours of the day till five like come on they're bribing you (laughs) but that is really what's going on is that homework doesn't have the cnus and so if we could somehow develop the cnus like hey let's set a timer if we could get this homework done in four minutes how crazy would that be if we could beat it and get it done in four minutes right so you have this big fat timer bam you just created urgency 
something as simple as that, right? Or like you can't watch TV till you finish the homework. Damn, we just created something challenging and competitive. Or right now there's a novelty at the end. They get to like get some reward. This is what I would call a contingency. It's the same idea. It's trying to take these CNUs and use them for our advantage. Got it. Okay. Now, do you see more adults, children, both? Anyone and anything that struggles with trying to pull their stuff together, that's what I do. So I see people with borderline, I see people with bipolar, I see people with ADHD, I see people with anxiety. I see regular folk who just want to pull their life together. And I see a lot, a lot of ADHD. Got it. Now, this is sort of like a broad question. Is it as a society, probably, and more Western society, probably, the way it, we've been sort of conditioned, is it even fair expectations for most people? So it's, you know, the society's built up, like you should be able to do X, you should be able to sit through class, and then go on to high school, and then college, and you should be able to sit at a desk if that's your job and focus and get all these jobs done and come home and focus on your kids homework and whatever stuff you have to do at home and pay your taxes. And it, there's just a lot of things built in that require organization and attention and focus and all those things like are, are we our own worst enemy <laughs> that's such a good point i wonder that also sometimes like um, people ask me so how do you get a phd and rabbinical ordination two of them actually and run three different businesses and the answer is a lot of ritalin but then i look around and i see that there are other people who have done similar achievements as me who haven't done it with ritalin and upon further like investigation, I've noticed that you'll see in most of these cases that they've somehow figured out a way to tap into their own internal CNUs. Either it's something that's a passion for them. They love this, you know, area of, of work that they've gotten into, or they're super into their family, or they're super into, then they're able to do that. But barring that, <laughs> meaning barring drugs or super passion, then yeah, it, it, it could be very difficult for both neurotypical and neurodiverse folk to kind of be expected to always be on top of their game. That's a lot. It's really a lot. So building off of that then, do you think every kid should go through traditional school? Not to put <laughs> you on the spot or topic. anything. Yeah, no, that's a whole different topic. And there's that famous line from Einstein that, you know, everyone's genius is different. And if we judge the fish by its ability to fly, then it would be an idiot. So it's a similar concept that like, listen, I clearly wasn't built to sit in a classroom and yet here I am, I'm a professor. <laughs> like I'm literally in the classroom teaching other people. Again, is my class very different? Like I design it very differently? Yeah, right. So we saw we have a mini, I have a, a brief lecture, like a mini lecture in the beginning, just orienting people to what's going on. We have a mini quiz. Everything's like mini. It's like broken down to small things. I model for them. You know what it's like to to interview or to have a, a session with this specific pathology then we do question answers on my own like mock session then they do their own mock session right with each other and then they go through their questions and answers you see how they're trying to make it as interactive and engaging as possible because it sometimes could be too hard to expect people to manufacture engagement and motivation constantly on such a and that's why so many of us need that netflix time at home just to like get home and veg out because there's a lot that's expected of our brains and it's very taxing the day could be very very taxing for all of us okay so i'm gonna ask a pretty cliche question i guess here is that has this changed over time so i'm not saying that technology is the devil and that's the cause of everything reality is though 
our reality is different than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. What's a fair statement to say is like, ha has it changed? Has that made an impact? Can it be reversed? <laughs> uh, like To some degree, again, neuroplasticity goes both ways, right? Meaning it allows us to be more adaptive and resilient in both directions, right? So it'll make us become someone who is more dependent on technology, right? But it could also allow us to find oasis, right? Some sort of space for a digital detox where we could connect to others. So again, it's really up to us. It's our choice. And it's in our ability to choose whether or not we, how we interact with technology. I have this great line that um, I use in some of my more rabbinical work, which is it's incumbent upon all of us to be a discerning consumer of media. And I would say the same thing when it comes to technology. It's our responsibility to be a discerning consumer of technology. So does that mean you think it does, like, you know, if I engage in technology or social media, that is it fair to say that that has an impact on my ability to fo have sustained focus and attention? Oh, of course. Yeah. One of my um, students did her research on this, on how much does um, video games and social media and that impact on children with ADHD. And she showed significant negative effects of technology. But again, right, that's a lot and unrestricted. Also, her study did cover over the course of COVID. So like, again, I think COVID is a big um, outlier in the sense that like, that was survival. And many of us really leaned on technology pretty heavily, but at its core, like you could use in both ways. So technology on the one hand would make you, let's say, have a reduced attention span, right? So let's say you start out neurotypical and now you're not. So like that could kind of do that to you within your own like neuroplasticity again, um, where it would be in a negative way. But you could use it also in positive ways. For instance, like shutting off um, YouTube during your productive times. I have that on my computer. I have everything blocked off during my productive times. And I even shut off my entire internet at 11 o'clock at, at night. That's it. All of it. All of my internet is over at 11 o'clock. I just found that I was always ordering dumb junk from Amazon. <laughs> and all those purchases were after 11 o'clock. Nothing good could really happen after that so nothing good happens like, after 11 o'clock <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and if it isn't then get pictures but the point <laughs> is that it's really about using it so if i'm a discerning consumer of that technology then yeah i could use that to help me so now i know i got to get all my work in before 11 but now i'm done right 11 o'clock it's over i shut off my technology world and now i'm able to focus on my wife on my kid whatever it is that needs to be attended to all right i even block it i have my internet blocked between i call it bed bath and beyond time which is between five and seven fifteen, because that's when I do Bed Bath and Beyond. That's You're not gonna when be I able to use that much longer because they went out of business. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it'll be a relic, cultural <laughs> <laughs> relic. But that's like the time that I I dedicate to my family, right? So my phone's on Do Not Disturb, and it's the same idea of like I'm trying to be as discerning as I can about my use of technology, my relationship with technology. So now on the flip side of what you just said. I am sure that you've had parents, you know, come in and say and like, you know, point at technology like that is the cause of everything. If there wasn't technology, if they wouldn't be on that stupid Fortnite, blah, 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 then they would be completely fine to be able to focus on everything, which someone who has ADHD, that's not true. It's yeah. not always necessarily true. I don't think technology is necessarily, the, you know, the most beneficial thing in the world. I don't think it's helping your kid. Right. But it definitely right. isn't the source of all evil. It's not what's causing their problems. It's the management of that technology that could most likely be a much more productive place to look at. Got it. Okay. So now without getting like too sciencey, 
because I want to get too much into that on the podcast. You mentioned Ritalin before. Okay. I mean, we're not going to go through all the medications and whatnot. That's not the time and place. What is it doing for a person? Great question. So there are two types. I'm just going to talk about the Ritalin aspect of it. So there's stimulants and non-stimulants. Ritalin happens to be a stimulant. The way the stimulant works is by first taking a step back and just looking at what's going on in, in, let's say, that neurodiverse brain. So for, let's say, in my brain, right, in ADHD brain, it means that the dopamine receptors in my brain, the thing that gives me that chemical that makes me feel good, that dopa hit, right, has a much higher threshold. So that means I need more stimulation to make me get my happy place. And so, therefore, during class, when the teacher's talking about, like, George Washington crossing some river or something like that, unless she has a video, a full contact, gory, like, (laughs) the the gory glory of that combat scene, not interested, right? Like, again, if you're just yakking on and on, it's not stimulating enough for me. So what the stimulant does is that it raises my level of stimulation so that I'm already in a higher level. So everything is going a little bit faster for me in my brain. My heart rate is going much faster it increases my threshold so that now I need less to stimulate me. And now George Washington crossing the river is actually kind of interesting. So I want to know what happened. Why didn't he get shot at by the British? Like, how do they get all these people across a frozen river with wooden oars? That's kind of weird, right? How do you get through ice with wood? (laughs) Got it. So that's what the stimulant does. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Now, also, again, without getting too much into the weeds, there's a lot of like, at least for the layperson, gray areas. Like, is it ADHD? Is it not? Is it like they're just not really motivated in school or not? Or do I just not really like my job and whatever it is? How valuable is getting some sort of expansive testing, like, uh, you know, neuropsychological testing or things like that? Great question. So now Even though I know you're, you know, you're in the field, right? You're a psychologist. And I don't know if, how much testing you actually do. But you know, on, on the consumer side, which a lot of people listening are consumers, it's like sometimes they'll be recommended, oh, get some testing. And sometimes they can get it through their district and sometimes not. And it can be very costly. Like, Listen, if it's food? free, if it's free, go for it, right? Um, again, nothing's free. So you have to pay for it in terms of time. So it's still worthwhile to listen to the way I break this down. But Really, there are two kinds of testing, right? There's the full-on neuropsych, which is usually a multi-hour battery, um, which can cost between three to $7,000. Again, in New York, it's more of the higher end. That's, I guess, what would be considered the most comprehensive. But a caveat is that let's just be real, right? Let's think about it for two seconds. Does that setting really mimic real life? Putting your kid in a room one-on-one attention with a bunch of tests and interesting stimulating things for the child to do with a psychologist that's dedicated just to them. Does that really mimic real life? Come on. Right. So like, I think that it's worthwhile to just take into context that like, again, it, there's no way to like really do this in the most perfect way, unless you have someone follow your child throughout the day. But what it, it definitely could help because part of the comprehensive, or at least they should be doing this when they're giving you a full neuropsych is they should be reaching out to teachers. They should be trying to get like scales from teachers and, and like insight and input from those teachers, which is helpful. Again, it does help, but sometimes it's really just this, it's a little excessive. I don't know if that's what everyone needs. Again, then the, the other end is just the two hour eval that you have with a clinician, like someone like myself who 
is trained and they're experienced with ADHD, not your local physician. They may not be as proficient in this, but someone who's kind of trained for it and can sniff it out and knows what to ask and what to look for, that could be a little bit more helpful and a little bit more economical because it'll cost you a lot less. And it's recognizing that, hey, listen, I'm not in the classroom with your kid, right? I could ask your teachers, I could send the same format of questioning to your teachers to find out. But at the end of the day, is it, it'll cost you significantly less. So again, I really think that it's up to the parent to think, hey, listen, how much do I want to invest in this? Do I want to do this as comprehensively as I can? Or do I just need enough of an insight? Because again, <laughs> like I said before, it's not exactly mimicking real life. So right. And people can come back with this, you know, 25 pages of an evaluation, read through it and they'll be like, okay, now what? Like, yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We're not really sure. Yeah, this, that. And then like, okay, great. And then now what? And then uh, again, on the flip side, you can have someone who goes to, let's say, a psychiatrist and see him for 15 minutes and be like, yeah, for sure. ADHD here. Here's some. Here's some I don't know. 15 minutes to do an eval. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like due diligence. There should be. Oh, some that's what I'm saying. That's exactly ADHD. what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that there, I've had people who, you know, who unfortunately have been to people and it's 20 minutes. 25 minutes and then boom, they're ready just like, or they go to their primary care and they're just, it's, yeah, you're always having trouble paying attention. Okay, sure, here. I mean, that's, to me, that's How do they know it's not anxiety? A lot of times anxiety will mimic a lot of ADHD symptoms, the inability to concentrate, lack of being able to sleep and just like little stupid things like that. But not being able to sleep will then make you more restless and aggressive and irritable. These are all things that would come up on some sort of ADHD testing. And how do you know it's not really anxiety? And again- I'm with you. I think it's unethical. Yes, I very much would agree with that. And I think that sometimes you have to realize that there's what I often refer to as ADHD induced anxiety. When a person doesn't have a properly developed executive functioning, so their their internal planner, it's not exactly up to par. It makes sense that they would have a lot of anxiety about their life, right? They never know what time anything is. I think when we were working out the timing for this, you saw me in my state of like trying to figure out the times of I'm in a different country and I'm trying to figure out the timing with you. And it makes sense that I would be anxious about it because- I don't have uh, an adequate internal timer or an internal planner. So like, again, a lot of times it's, it really does take some due diligence to tease out what is really going on. Right. Okay. So that's really helpful. I think for the people listening about you know, evaluations, have you observed the difference between men and women, boys and girls? There are differences. I personally haven't observed them only because I feel like I don't have enough exposure to like seeing them directly one after the other. But I know that the research is replete with differences. Um, for instance, just societally, we have boys kind of are given a little bit more of a, a wide berth when it comes to being more hyperactive. And girls oftentimes will even like stupid things like uh, calling out or speaking up, or speaking out of hand, right? So with a girl, there's a lot more social consequence to something like that um, than it is for a boy. So there are a lot of unique differences and the research does show that it's unfortunately an under-researched area in the sense that we don't really have enough understanding of those differences, but we know there are differences. There's a lot of underdiagnosing with girls who have ADD, meaning like, let's say, ADHD inattentive type and an overdiagnosis on the girls who are, let's say, uh, more out there and therefore have the ADHD that is more hyperactive. So there's a lot of gender differences and societal differences that I think would lead to some sort of mismatch between those. Agreed. And I think stereotypically, I would imagine that boys or men sort of 
society has given a little more of a leash on certain behaviors than, again, stereotypically than for girls, whether it's like, you know, jumping around and horsing around when they're younger or, or even in fact, when they're older, there's maybe an, an implicit allowance in society which then allows for a man or a boy who has ADHD where they won't like jump so quickly to assuming that as opposed to a girl. Yeah, it's very true and sometimes unfair, honestly. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Have you seen, again, the the oldest question in the book in, in our field is nature versus nurture and which we'll never get a real clear answer to. Um, I thought, uh, isn't isn't the consensus at this point is what nurture does with nature? Okay, so it's not one or the other. That's right. It's both. Right. Yeah, it's both. I agree. I agree. So now, theoretically, could you have someone who you sort of alluded to this a little bit earlier? Someone who grows up like neurotypical, is fine, you know, school does great, focuses, and then as an adult develops. This, oh, this, yes. this organization is I can't focus. I have my laundry's <laughs> piling up. My bills are piling up. I just can't get this things to get. And they're like, what happened? What, what freaking yeah. happened? <laughs> yeah, I think Adam Sandler has a routine called What the Hell Happened to Me? <laughs> uh, and it very much encapsulates a lot of the experience for many, many people. So there are two things. There's adult onset ADHD, which is people who get it when they're an adult, which... The way I understand it is really more like the second thing. So I think it's all really one thing, which is that you have to realize that the responsibilities we have as adults is so much more complex than as kids. As kids, we're really going through so much of a more structured lifestyle, right? We have school. You have to be here for class at this time. You have to do this work. There's the syllabus. This is the work that's done. Your mom's going to annoy you till you do your homework, right? It's just kind of like things are a lot more structured. You're given a lot more of just stability in your everyday expectations. You know what's expected of you. You know what you need to do. There's consequences if you don't. Things are kind of set up for us, right? But then when you get older and you start this whole adulting thing, and this is why it becomes so difficult for so many people is that then there's so much leeway. And like sometimes that freedom to just be you is a little too free. And it's a tough one, really, because these expectations are tough. What yeah, like there is like, oh, well, you got to be at work at nine to five. Yeah, but then what am I doing in front of that computer? <laughs> like from nine to five, right? Like, how am I getting my stuff done? When am I getting this project done? It's due by the end of the month, right? Or I need this quarterly done by the end of the quarter, right? So we feel like we have all this time. And and I find that this happens a lot to college kids as well. Like they're moving from that very structured high school experience to college where like all of a sudden things are a lot more free and a lot more like laissez-faire. And then it becomes much more difficult for them. And it's so ironic to think that when we give people more liberty and more freedom, sometimes it actually makes it more difficult for them to be free, to be who they want to be. Yeah, agreed. I mean, some people would love to be able to go through life with people telling them exactly what to do and, and, and what yes. to do. Yes, <laughs> yes. But then again, you know, it, it, there's two sides to every coin. But then also then it's hard for them to develop their own independent living skills. They're doing that. And then we're accommodating that too much. And then that, that becomes unhelpful. I mean, which speaks to another thing that I want to add, which speaks to is like, who said we have to be one way? You know, we talk about society expectations, like who said that, like, I have to be this amount of organized or I have to, like, you know, do this type of job or be this type of productive or learn this. Like who said, in fact, and I'm curious what your experience has been. In fact, I have friends and family and lots of other people who I've met where, like, 
sometimes I'm a bit envious of their ADHD. And I'm more on like the linear side, you know, and multitasking is difficult for me. And I have friends and people like, wow, that's, it's like a superpower. You guys, you could do 80 things at once or people who, you know, maybe run a business and they're able to like, I don't know if they're compartmentalizing or maybe they're just like forgot about it already. And like, you know, they can take a phone call and then boom, next. And then they're boom, 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 boom. And they're moving around this thing. And I'm like, holy moly, I would be so overwhelmed by what they're doing and moving. And sometimes they usually once I one more thing. And sometimes being someone who's more to the other end, I know it's not true, but sometimes it can feel like it's hard to like have a sustained relationship with them. Not because sometimes it feels like they're being rude, but they're not being rude. They're really, really not. I mean, sometimes people are being rude, but they're not necessarily being rude. But like the fact that they don't like can't stay on the phone for more than 30 seconds with you or they're like jumping and you're trying to stay, you know, focused on a topic is not like them necessarily being rude. So in some ways it can make them way more successful. Is that what do, what do you say? <laughs> I have mixed feelings on this. I often okay. like quoting uh, Howie Mandel, whoever who says like talks about his ADHD and his OCD. And he's like, hey, for all those people who tell me it's a gift, where do I return it? <laughs> and I get that. Sometimes I feel that. And sometimes I feel that myself. Um, it does make life a lot more difficult. And a few times during your question, which was very long for my attention span. So I apologize. I've been, I've been accused of that many times before. So don't, don't worry. <laughs> Any times during your question, I, I was just smiling cynically to myself when you're saying how they're multitasking. They're not. Multitasking is actually one of the least effective things people with ADHD do. It means that they're just doing a 20% job <laughs> and then 80%. So they're really just messing up many more things than accomplishing, they would be much better off just doing one thing at a time and, and using that hyper-focus to get that thing done really well. Um, that's number one. Number two, like the being rude, it's a real problem. I'm dealing right now, just this morning, right? I, I'm dealing with a couple where she said, you know, I just can't stand the fact that you never say bye. I was like, all right, and then you hang up. Like, again, they've been married for 20 years. Like you would think, just get over it, right? Like, look, he's so successful. First of all, he's not that successful. Second of all, like, it's just really annoying. Some of these things are rude. And yeah, it, it's just, we are living in a world where there's a cultural contract of what's considered appropriate and what's not. And if you're not doing that, call it what you want. Oh, I have whatever many letters after my name or before my name or whatever they are, right? It still rubs people the wrong way. And so I don't know if necessarily it's a superpower for them to be like super rude. And the the last part of like them looking like they're like, I would be so overwhelmed. They usually are overwhelmed. That's usually what their experience is. And you'll find people who are successful in this and they're accomplishing. That's true. That's true. In certain areas, they are successful, but at what cost? That's fair. I'm glad I asked the question though. <laughs> Do you, I remember seeing a long time ago and my memory is foggy on this, talking about successful people or even not successful people. I remember reading something that different like professions, different industries attract, you know, different people with different tendencies. Like if I remember correctly, it's something along the lines that if people with ADHD were drawn more to like the performing arts or I think even the armed forces, um, yes. things like that. Do you, can you speak a little yeah, there are two different inventories, the strong inventory in Holland. There are two different inventories that people use to look at what they're kind of inclined to do. And yeah, there has been some overlap. It makes sense if you think about it. You should know, uh, ironically, another profession that people they just are drawn to is being a teacher. And the reason is because you're, you have to make a million decisions in that moment. You have like 
however many students in your class. I remember once having like 70 students in my class and like I have to be keeping on top of every single one and kind of registering every single movement, every single thought, every single piece of information that's coming from them and that's coming back from me responding and being there. So like even that would make a lot of sense. And they say salesmen, right? Because there's a certain like rush they get like right before the big sale and just similar to what's going on in the performing arts. They get that like adrenaline rush and they almost like live for that because then that gives them flow. Right. That famous concept from positive psychology, right, where people with ADHD can tap into the flow. It's when they're feeling like they're maximizing themselves. And that for them is a real drug because that's when all of our dopamine's going crazy. Because when we're in this extremely stimulating environment, right? Remember the way I was describing the neuroscience earlier, right? It really like it 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 makes us lit, right? We're alive, right? Our brain is flooded with dopamine. We're on a different plane. And and I actually just said this to someone recently, is that those of us with ADHD, we feel life a lot more richly than others. So that means our highs are higher, but our lows are also lower, which brings it down to this idea of like recognizing that, yeah, sometimes it's hard to tease apart between the depression, the anxiety, the ADHD, what's coming from what. And a lot of times I I recommend that if you're feeling down, if you're feeling like extra, like that kind of stuff, look into it. Like, where is this coming from? What's it really coming from? But just to get back to the point of the question, yeah, there are different professions that will attract a person who needs to be more stimulated and the visionaries, the actions, the thrill seeking, like that kind of stuff. And it makes a lot of sense if you look at it neurologically, these are people who need enhanced stimulation. So to build off of that, and I know we're going to be up against the clock soon and we're not going to get to everything that we hope to. I think for everybody, neurotypical and otherwise, probably have a harder time being bored it's like you are so terrified of being bored than let's say i don't know 10 years ago is it fair then to to say also based on what you just said that someone with adhd maybe has an even harder time being bored yes first of all they'd be bored more often right and there's less things that could provide that stimulation for them than for other other people like if it's a book it has to be a really good book Right. If it's a movie, even a movie, I have people who will watch just like the first 15 minutes of movie and then they're on to the next one. Right. So like, yeah, it, it could make it much more likely to be bored. It's almost painful for some people to be bored. Like I can't be bored. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, this is totally like what I call a doorknob, right? which is right at the end of a, of a session is someone drops like a really huge like clinger. But like, honestly, I call this the avoidance trap, which is oftentimes they're running away from something or they, the, the fact that they can't stand something means that there's something inside pushing them. That motor that keeps them running, um, it's being driven by something. What is that thing? And I often find it to be very valuable to look inside and, and figure that out. So this was very helpful and maybe we'll do it again sometime to add in some of the gaps that we didn't get to. If people want to know more about like what system, there's a lot out there. So it's hard to know like what systems are helpful, what someone just selling something. So how could people find out more, whether it's about your system or just more about how they contact you or just more about ADHD and like, what's the best? uh... Um, In general, I'd rather give advice for in general, because again, I don't need, like, I'm not here to push myself. Um, Anyone wants me, they could Google my website, adhddoctor.org. But in general, look for licensing. There's a lot of fakers out there. There's a lot of people who, oh, I have ADHD, so now I could, you know, tell people what to do. And that's great. They probably have a lot of helpful stuff, and there's a lot of good stuff out there. Just if you're entrusting your life or your child with someone, 
it's super important to look for some sort of accreditation or licensing. I'm not saying that just because they're licensed, they're good. Again, we have some people out there who are licensed and aren't good, right? And there are some just coaches or folk out there without licensing who are incredibly talented and very helpful. I just think that it's super important to look for some sort of accreditation, and if not, social cred. Hear what other people say about them. Ask. Ask around. Is there um, like a general, like a website that is a recognized? Uh, oh yeah, Chad. Chad is excellent. Chad, Chad is great. Attitude Mag is also a phenomenal resource that I highly recommend. These are all really, really great places to start. And they'll have a lot of resources. They'll have a lot of like uh, verified experts who are, are really good at this stuff and have been around for, for a really long time. Okay, fantastic. This is fantastic. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Pleasure. I love talking about how to make people better.